The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 60 of the Ascent of Board Games. Thanks for sticking with us, or joining us, as the case may be. This month, we are here to talk about wildlife games. We had an episode a few back talking about ecological games and that sort of thing, and now we're focusing particularly on games about wildlife, games about animals and how they interact in the wild and how we interact with them. More of these, especially recently, have been becoming a little more ecologically conscious. I'm sure there were a lot of early games about going out and finding wild animals and shooting them, or have kind of gone off that these days, which I think is a good thing. Important safety tip here. This is not games about nature, and how dare you confuse the two. Right, exactly. We can't have that as the same. Although I do have a game about hunters trying to shoot one rabbit and failing and shooting each other. <laughs> okay, oh, now so that's it's, hilarious. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. what's his face? The, El- the Elmer Fudd, the board game. Yeah, it's it's totally Elmer Fudd. It's 12 Elmer Fudds and one rabbit. It's ah. very sad. <laughs> yeah, this is a game about wildlife and occasionally some stuff about zoos, which are not exactly wildlife, but at least we're being a little more flexible about that. There's not so much. Most zoos that are worth their salt have research or some connection to wildlife. Yeah. Preservation. Anymore. We yeah. certainly hope so. Yeah, totally. While there were certainly earlier wildlife games, the first one that we thought was interesting enough to talk about, or that Frank picked out of his massive collection, is in German. So I'm going to make Frank pronounce it. Yes, off Photo Safari in Ombagasa. Designer is Reinhold Wittig and self-published by his Edition Pearlhoon game company. Edition Pearlhoon makes games in big old tubes. Generally, you'll get a nice vinyl cloth-backed map. And weird components. I mean, one of his other games has just chunks of basically Australian desert packed into the tube (laughs) in which you're drawing pictures of it. But Photo Safari comes with big, giant animal meeples. They are beautiful, big, chunky meeples, and I love them all. Oh, yeah, totally. And yeah, some uh, Jeeps you drive around and luggage you pile on top of the Jeeps. As well as a, a nice, you know, black and white kind of rendition of your African universe that you're driving around. And basically, you're driving your vehicles around a figure eight track and taking pictures of animals. You roll the die, you get action points, and you have a card representing like an oasis and a collection of animals around it. Get that collection of animals around it, have your Jeep in front of it, get your picture score points. It's, you know, it's a very basic kind of game again kind of post dates at least it's not a strict roll and move you have to think about which animals you're moving but it's mostly just a simple tactical almost a kid's game but the production is so lovely it is kind of adorable now do you have to have the animals like arranged a certain way or they just need to be around the oasis where you're taking no just have to be around the oasis Uh, we'll talk about arrangement of animals in specific order later but uh now in particular when you look at Reinhold Wittig games, often he uses the word game art mm-hmm. in his descriptions of his games. And really, his games are almost more art pieces. They're playable, but generally not complex. They're often very simple, abstract, or have simple themes in gameplay and gorgeous art. Again, if you look at pictures of the board, it's nice. It is very nice. You can definitely see there are spaces on the track around the outside. But as far as where the animals go, you just kind of plonk them wherever. It's a move on position left and right around the circles. Oh, okay. But yeah, he tried to totally hide any kind of construct of spaces or anything mm-hmm. because game art. Yeah, works for me. Yeah. Oh, that's yep, cute. Totally. All right. Oh, it's cute. It is a good starter. And then after you've started with Off Photo Sagari in Ombagasa, where do you go from there, Frank? As usual, the early stuff is all you. Oh, yeah. A real game. As is tradition. Right, exactly. Wildlife Adventure, which is Robinsberger. Interestingly, Wolfgang and Ursula Kramer are both credited with this, Hmm. but I think mostly Wolfgang. This is a classic, classic game. 
It's been reissued as Expedition, I think is the more famous one. And parts of it show up in other games as well. Now, I've actually played this one. This is a game where you are you have a, a nice map of the world with a bunch of animals on it. And each animal has a card with facts on it and everything. And your object, you're given a group of animals, you have to collect them. But, well, you don't collect them. Instead, there are three expeditions with colored arrows, red, blue, and yellow, who start in Germany and begin to fan out over the world. Basically, on your turn, you can drop down an arrow at the end of any expedition. If at any time it reaches your animal, yay, you score it. And that would be most of the game, except you have travel tickets, which you can spend to do things like place a second arrow on a turn, swap out your tickets, or remove an arrow, in which case you probably are immediately replacing it to place somewhere else. The structure of the board is the charm here because you won't get to all of the places especially because as soon as someone finishes their their animals, the game ends. Mm -hmm. But it's surprisingly tricky in terms of what kind of paths you can use to turn around and visit the places. The real charm of the game here was, of course, all the animal pictures and the gorgeous board. But the game's deep enough that we used to play as a tournament, Gathering Friends. I believe that. You keep saying this is a gorgeous board. What it reminds me of are... The old, like, book atlases that you would look at in, like, elementary school. It's like a map you'd find in National Geographic or something. Yeah, where it's like, it's definitely just a world map, and then there are slightly oversized pictures of the animals, like, overlaying the parts of the world that they live in. And it just very much reminds me of those map books that I would look at as a kid. Yeah, or some kind of giant picture you would expect to see on a wall in a classroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could also very easily see this as like a classic like 500-piece puzzle or something like that. Yeah. So you can collect off of any of the expeditions, right? Correct. So you're functionally deciding like, well, hey, do I want to make this move here or make this move here? Which one's like, or are they going to move this one first kind of thing? It's like a read your opponent's mind kind of thing. Yeah, it's like I need to get to Australia, so I need to make sure they're headed in that direction. Correct. Because, yeah, red could go off any direction. It could just head straight through Africa and take forever to get to Australia. The Australian animals are the hardest to get because they're so far. You can wrap around the world. There are three spots where you can cross the world. But yeah, if you cross the world, it's hard to go back, except for removing that last arrow. If you know it's gotten to a turn around you and it's gone three spaces past your critter, it's pretty hard to move back. The later expedition allowed you to form a loop and then spin and then basically play off that loop. Mm. So it was a little easier to kind of manipulate things, and so you couldn't get as screwed early on. I actually think Wildlife Adventure, for its unforgiving uh, nature of when it's gone past, is the better game. Kind of weird. Strictly from a thematic standpoint, it's also the only Wildlife One expedition, I think, is like an archaeology theme. Correct, yeah. Now, remind me, Frank, it's been a while since I played this. Do you get like just a set of random animal cards or are there like here is a list of five, six, however many animals you need to get? You do get a set of random animal cards. There are public ones on the board mm-hmm. or on your turn. If you play to a public one, that'll give you points. Technically, you get points for the ones you've completed of your private. The public ones are worth like one point each. And then any left in your hand are worth minus one point. So you could technically not be the one that finishes your set of animals Mm -hmm. and still win if you've gotten a ton of public animals. Yeah. So it's possible that you'll get a bunch of cards that are in the same general area. Yeah, totally. Which could be better or worse, depending on how it goes. Yeah, totally. And in fact, since you can swap out animals, and it's fairly cheap to swap out animals, you get two from the deck when you do that. Deciding when to do that or when to bail it's kind of tricky. Sometimes I've, I've had just like one Australian. I'll do it first thing out to try to get something better and close to another one of my animals. Yeah. It all depends. I mean, it's actually a decent game. Again, I'm talking about minorly deep strategies of, you know, when to do that, looking at your hand and trying to figure out if there's a path. Yeah. But more importantly, when to cut your losses and bail. Yeah, it's not a brain burner, but it is definitely a good game. Yeah. 
And then we have the next one listed on our list as Animal Farm, but it is a piece of a much larger complex of games. Wow, yeah. I think this ties into more evolution games because Animal Farm is really a combination of American megafauna and origins. These are Phil Eklund. Mm -hmm. This one's listed as Sierra Madre, which, yeah, I guess is him. When you look at his games, they go all the way from proto-life to insects to small mammals, all the way, oh, megafauna takes on large mammals and dinosaurs and predator prey, then to humans where you're playing almost a Civ-like game. And then there's the weird post-Civ game that's coming that represents the evolution of humanity into whatever we're going to become later. What is that one called? I hadn't heard of that. Oh, yeah. I can't remember the name of that game. So basically, in a lot of these games link. In particular, Animal Farm links American Megafauna, which would be the mammal and predator game with origins, how we became human. Megafauna is a and mesofauna technically are both you have a board, you're moving around animals, trying to grow your species and evolve it. I don't think we want to talk too much about it because it really fits into the evolution game thing, which we're trying to avoid here, yeah. Yeah, and we talked about it before then. At this point, I feel like that series of games should just be like an episode unto itself. Oh, good point. For sure. Well, you could also go into some of the Neanderthal and some of the games that spawned the new BIOS series. But yeah, just doing a thing on Sierra Madre would be a trip. <laughs> yeah. And it would be an excuse to make all of our friends play Phil Eklund nope. games. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, Brian, template. you have to. It's research. I know. I checked, right? I checked rule 13.7.27.7. It says you have to. Oh, Sorry. man. Yep. But seriously, Brian, we should play Mesofauna. Okay. That's the bug one. That is actually surprisingly approachable. Okay. If you play the intermediate game, that is the most refined, clean I've ever seen a Phil Eklund game. Hmm. Surprisingly approachable. Yeah. Phil Eklund <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So Animal Farm is basically the game of domesticating animals on the way to civilization. Yeah. And there is some animal domestication. Are you sure it's not a metaphor for the different uh, social structures? A thinly veiled satire of capitalism? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it got the name Animal Farm. That just seems weird. Hmm. Farming? Except for the- Making a literal animal farm? Because that might explain it. <laughs> I mean, their origins does have rules for domesticated species because it has rules for everything. I mean- mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating is just looking at the cards for the game, and the animal cards are literally- encyclopedia style pictures of here's the skull of this animal and here is how its brain is organized and it has these special abilities but it's really oh it has a motor cortex for trunk dexterity that's that's good to know oh weird so, oh you're right they're doing animal versions of the so at the beginning of origins you actually have to awaken parts of your brain mm. to pick up language social knowledge etc my guess is the link here is that they're assuming that different animal species could actually evolve the language and structure to become civilizations. I love everything that you just said. Oh my God, could we then have a game where you're doing an evolution of Civ game, except the people are all mammoths? I love or it. Or raptors? Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the idea that each of these become... Yeah, you're right, because they're talking about developing... Because looking at the cards, they're actually developing functions that take place in the later eras. Yes, because I'm looking at raptors and World War. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've played that role-playing game, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, that's an option. So it's it's different animals developing into basically civilizations and then going on... Because you do have four, one of the weirder parts of Origins is uh, you do have the hobbits. Mm -hmm. You know, the, was it New Zealand and Australia, you had fairly small hominids. Yeah. Hmm. Colloquially referred to as hobbits, mm -hmm. who had at least some presence there. And they're one of the playable species in Origins. I just, uh, these cards fascinate me. I'm looking at the one for raptors. It's like, in the Dark Ages, they have metaphoric songs then world war, then cowardice. If they have a golden age path, they have Spartanism, organized competitions, and then reptile world domination. 
I mean, Hell yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm at the point where I have to look at this game and see what's going on because this is fascinating. Yeah, symbology yeah. is just really <laughs> wild, like very, very. I wild. have literally no idea what's going on, but I must learn more. I haven't played the latest Origins, but it's pretty interesting looking. So yeah, wow. the Mastodons have diplomacy, pacifism, biological immortality. <laughs> sure, I mean, so I'm in. I'm in. Biologically immortal mammoths. I'm in. Yeah, totally. Now back to a game that is designed to be playable by humans. No, no, no. These again, the Lakeland games are like playable by humans, uh-huh. just as long as you don't try to play Rocket, <laughs> predecessor to High Frontier. Man, that's brutal. All right, Mike, talk to us about fish. All right, so this is actually the next game is one of the first games I ever kickstarted. It was not a success. It delivered exactly what they promised. The game was not great, but it's a fascinating one because of a game that is currently on our hotness list. And that is 2013 Salmon Run from Eagle Griffin Games, designed by Jesse Catron. This is a game about racing fish, and it is a deck builder. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Hmm. A racing deck builder? Unlike heat pedal to the metal that we've currently been loving this one it was not great it was more of a standard deck building game but you started with a deck of like swim forward swim left and swim right everything was kind of hexagonal based and there were certain obstacles along the way that would either like push you backwards or you'd had to avoid bears and you know just things like that it was cute It is perfectly adequate, but it did not elevate itself to the point of being good and or something that any of my friends wanted to play with me. Well, now that you've said it's sort of an ancestor of Heat Pedal to the Metal, you might get more. Oh, you want to play more Heat Pedal to the Metal with us? (laughs) Here's one with fish. (laughs) Nope. I unfortunately prefer Heat, I think, just hands down every time. It just is such a more... I don't want to say well-thought-out game, because that's not really the issue with Salmon Run. Like, having played it a couple of times when it first came out, like, the game did everything it promised, and it does work, and it is functional. It just lacks that kind of funness that you get with the tension that is created in Heat. And it's really, actually, now that it's on this list and I've been thinking about it, a fascinating comparison between the two games. Because of how similar they are. We'll have to do a deep dive episode sometime. That's a new thing I just made up. I'd like Mm -hmm. to get this one back to the table now that Heat is out, just to see if it is as bad as I remember it being. (laughs) You really know how to sell a game to people. Right, yeah. Let's do that. (laughs) But again, it's not bad. It just is not as good as. Mm -hmm. Like, bad is a sliding scale here. Sure. But yeah, no, I mean, this one is cute. You are salmon swimming upstream to get back to your breeding ground so that you can have babies. Done. Yeah. I originally got it thinking, going into the classroom, that this could be a good learning tool. I don't don't think it's (laughs) kid-friendly enough. I think there's a little bit too much. You want to teach children about spawning? I mean, we do need to do that. That is one of our third grades nope second grade standards is animal life cycles Mm. but yeah no this one it's i think just a little bit too complex for the younger kids to play and i just think not interesting enough for older kids or adults so salmon run (laughs) if you're into salmon it could be something you'd like salmon run it's a game i mean yeah pretty much everything (laughs) yeah i mean like i said this was an early kickstarter it did not come with a million add-ons. It was, you know, one of those ones that's just like, here's our game idea. We would like to produce it, please. Okay. Would have been better if they would have had all the add-ons, right? Like if they had like premium Little tokens, salmon miniatures. Like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, there are salmon meeples in it. <laughs> and a little bear meeple. It's adorable. Nah. But it doesn't have like zombies in it. It doesn't have a mistake. It's a campaign system, Mike. Why is it even a Kickstarter? <laughs> right. Yeah. Not a single legacy component. Not a single legacy component. Disappointing. It did have modular race boards so that you could like mix and match each time and play different like mm-hmm. basically changing the track. 
I guess that is another difference, is the track, it almost reminded me of the... Mississippi Queen. Uh, what was the other racing game that you recently played, Joe? That I recently played? Yeah, the one that was uh, Fury Road, I think? Thunder oh, Road Vendetta? Thunder Road, yeah. Thunder Road, yeah. It, the track reminds me a little bit more of like Thunder Road as compared to like Heat in just how the track and how you move on it is set up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, like when you compare like Thunder Road and Heat, you know, this is this is now officially way off topic, <laughs> right? But like comparing Thunder Road and Heat, the conceptual problem with Thunder Road compared to Heat is like Thunder Road is like a whole big old bag of random, whereas Heat is random is much more controlled. And I think that is also holds true for Salmon Run, because you, you draw, like, five cards off your deck. If you move into certain spaces, you could get more cards, but you could have a turn where all you have in your hand is, like, swim left or swim right, but all you need to do is swim forward, and you have very little control over that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, enough bashing on Salmon Run. So, speaking of things that eat salmon, love that segue, my next game is Baron Park which is a 2017 release from Phil Walker-Harding, released by Lookout Games and Mayfair and a bunch of other people. Baron Park is a fairly simple game, which does not mean there's not some strategic depth to it, but it's not a brain burner by any means. It's a game about building bear parks, as the name implies. You are each given sort of a 4x4 grid in front of you, and there are a bunch of different things you can place on those grids. There are sort of generic things like fast food places and restrooms and playgrounds for the kids. And there are a variety of different bear habitats. There are, I think, four different species of bear in the base game. There are polar bears, goby bears, pandas, and koalas. And there's a whole note in the rules that says, yes, we know koalas aren't really bears, but people like them, so we're putting them in the game anyway. It's pretty great. Yeah. I know what their audience wants. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Bears. Things that are called bears. And basically, each turn, you get to place a tile from your reserve. And on the grid in front of you, there are a variety of different icons. And basically, depending on what icons you cover, you get more tiles. And in some cases, there are things that will let you add more grids. So you can gradually expand out to ultimately a four-tile grid of these four-by-four tiles. And basically, you are placing things as best you can Generally, the bigger stuff or the more awkwardly shaped stuff is worth more points. As you complete each tile, there's a little bonus tile you can put on it that gets you extra points. It's basically build bigger things faster to get more points. It's very Tetris. It's very uh, into positioning polyominoes. There are achievements that are available in the quote-unquote advanced game, which, you know, when you have things arranged in certain positions or certain numbers of things, you get extra points for those. There's an expansion out there, which includes a new bear type, which has some very large and weirdly shaped enclosures yet to put them in. The most important part about the expansion is that it has monorails. <laughs> you actually place on your board these little monorail towers, and they have to be a certain distance apart because you are laying cardboard monorail track between those towers across your park. And it's just adorable to look at. Really, not enough games have monorails. I know, right? Hey. Brian, mm-hmm. I have one word for you. Monorail. 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 Sorry. But yeah, like I said, it's not a really sophisticated game. The theme is light, let's say, but it's a fun game. It's a good family game, good kind of uh, intro for people, and I think it's quite fun. I want to real quick discuss the theme of this game. Mm-hmm. Are bear parks a thing? In Europe, I guess they are. Okay. If you're listening, and this is a thing, and you've been to one, please send us an email. I want pictures. I want to see a bear park. There is a Arizona Wildlife Park in Arizona. Interesting. There's Bear Hollow Wildlife Trail in Athens. Apparently, this is a thing. Oh, my God. I want to go to one now. No, it doesn't (laughs) sound like it's a thing. It really doesn't sound like it's a thing. Brian, I'm I'm shocked you didn't mention the best insert I've ever seen included in a Oh my game. god. <laughs> it's a diagonal triangular insert for a game that's no, full no, of square no. pieces. It's not an insert. It's literally a piece of cardboard <laughs> that divides the box into different spaces. Theoretically divides the box. It doesn't really work. I genuinely think this makes it harder to put oh the game away. Oh my god. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it is 
by far the worst game insert I have ever seen, and I don't know why I haven't thrown it away yet. Yeah, it seems like something I would instantaneously throw away. Pretty much. Doesn't it have but it's, bears it's printed all over it. bears on it, so... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a picture of it on the board Game Geek with, like, careful diagrams on, no, no, this is totally really good, and you can actually use it to divide stuff. <laughs> so we'll... It's secretly amazing. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. It, is it, though? Is it though? Use number four will shock you. (laughs) (laughs) What they don't want you to know about their inserts. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that is Baron Bork. It is a cute little game. It's a lot about get to the piece the fastest and get the most points go. So now I think we're back to Frank. Oh, yeah. Ecos, the first Ecos, Ecos, sure, whatever. The First Continent is by John D. Clare, no stranger to this podcast, Mm -hmm. published by AEG back in 2019. And this is another in a series of games that is bingo for gamers. (laughs) Just what I always wanted. Now, these are actually good. Mm. So above all, it plays six simultaneously, which is always the reason you want to play bingo. But as far as the game, you've got a world with hexagonal tiles. And you build up the world, and while you're building up the world, you happily plop down mountains, trees, and wildlife onto this world. Really, in this case, you're more gods playing with the terrain to fulfill your own whims. And the whims come in a whole giant deck of action cards, basically. But these action cards are goals, so you get points for doing them, as well as actions that do things for you. And of course, you want combos that help feed into some of your other cards because they have requirements that, you know, you have like 12 sharks on the board or something. Mm-hmm. And these requirements will make the game and land change pretty dramatically because there's a big pool of um, of cards to go from. And you'll see maybe, you know, a third of them each game at all. But the, the gameplay is kind of cute. You have a big bag of just tokens big old chunky wooden rune tile tokens. You reach into a bag and somebody pulls one out. And everyone then takes and takes a cube and marks it on one of their action cards where they have a matching spot to play. And that's it. When a card fills, when all its runes have been filled, you get to do it in turn order. So most of the time, someone's drawing out a bingo calling out, "Mm, it's a deer. And everyone's going, huh, where do I put the deer? hoping to get an action interesting and you kind of see how that entire game goes really the weird thing about it there are several animals land and sea and just especially if you get a good predator going that starts eating the other animals you'll end up with giant monocultures of sharks in the water maybe some rhinoceros on land i'm just looking at the some pictures of the different components and most of them are just, you know, you have antelope, elephant, hippo, fish. Yeah. And then there is one that is cheetah slash orca. So there's like, yeah, I guess these are space. dual-sided predators. <laughs> it's just like, land or sea, I got oh, you. Oh, totally. Orcas, the cheetahs of the sea. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Totally. So this one also, you play with a random setup of animals? No. No? Basically, all the animals, all the tiles... And the components are all freely available. Okay. When we played this, like I don't remember the cheetah slash orcas, but maybe... Yeah, it's possible they never came out because the action cards drive those. So, you know, know. if someone didn't get cheetah or orca animals on the board, you'll see very few of the animals coming out. And it'll all depend on... It may be easier to spread one or, you know, one may get started and then just pushed out, devoured, removed by some other event. But no, it's all driven off those events. Potentially, everything is in play and available. Right. Okay. Potentially, all animals are available. Okay. I love how, if you just like look at the cards from this game, they look really hard to understand. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. They look confusing. They're not, but they look really confusing. <laughs> But gain some symbols. There's a bunch of symbols on the left-hand side. What does that mean? Who knows? I don't know what any of these things do. Oh, you can use them multiple times, and you rotate them mm-hmm. for the sides. So they indicate just how many times you've used it. But you do all the things on a space, so you often will do weird, almost seemingly random things. You know, in this case, I think you're probably looking at the sample cheetah 
which basically just starts as a cheetah and start just ripping into other animals. <laughs> yeah, shark does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Nom, nom, nom. Two things I want to mention about this game. One is that it has really nice, like, token storage and stuff built in for play. Oh, yeah. These little cardboard trays that hold everything up. It's very nice. The other thing I really appreciate is that the person who is drawing the token out of the bag is known for reasons that have nothing to do with anything as the Harbinger, which really sounds like <laughs> some sort of ominous space villain. The Harbinger decrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a cute game. It is have you played it? I mean, it's really good. I do like it. Looking at it, I feel as though I have. I don't know when it or where. It's super familiar. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure yeah. I played it at some point. I've played it quite a few times, and I'm a big fan. All right. I wonder if we maybe played it in Board Game Geek, because I like... Or on uh, Tabletop Simulator. That's what I mean, yes. That's what I mean. Sorry. Good Lord. I feel like I recognize... That it. seemed like the kind of thing that we would do. But I don't, like, I don't know how I've handled it. And there's three or four games that use that kind of bingo mechanism. Mm-hmm. As a driver. But yeah, this is the most complex. Mm-hmm. That brings us to a game that is very, very popular that we're going to make Mike talk about because he doesn't like it. Yeah. Um, all right. This is Wingspan from 2019 Stonemeyer Games, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, who has done other better games. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shots fired. This is. I mean, this is the first one that I played from her, and I was not impressed. This is a game that is about building an engine out of birds. Yep, Ew, that's, that's good. Ew. Yep, yep. Well, when <laughs> you need a, when you need an engine and all you've got is birds, then build an engine out of birds. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, it's been a minute since I played this game. You have a board that's out in front of you that has three different rows where you can play birds. You have a hand of birds, and you can pay resources to put those birds from your hand out onto your board. As you do, you are paying costs. Only certain birds can go into certain rows, and each one of them have special powers that then become a part of your engine. There, the more birds that you add out onto your board. The more eggs you also have to pay, which means not only are you collecting one of the five different resources that are food, you're also having to pay eggs. There's a lot to juggle and balance in this game. It is a total bird salad, point salad. (laughs) And unfortunately, when I played it, I felt like there was just a lot of random because I could not get the birds that I needed for specific things. There's more to it. It's been a heck of a long time since I played this game. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, there's whole worm dice and yeah, yeah. So looking at Board Game Geek, I can tell you the reason this game is popular, and the simple reason this game is popular is because the egg figures are adorable and everyone loves them. And I would be tempted to eat them every time I play this game because they look like little candies. Yeah, they're like these bright pastel colors. The whole game, I mean, looks good. Like, the components are nice. The board is nice and bright. It's big. It's easy to read. It does have, like, hallmark drawings of all of the birds that you play onto the cards. They're like Autobahn Society drawings is what they Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then every card also does tell you the wingspan of the bird (laughs) (laughs) that you're playing. As well as has like a little snippet of information and shows you like where in the world the bird can be found. It's fairly easy to see. There aren't too many varieties of actions. So it's a fairly approachable kind of engine game. Mm -hmm. And so I see that as being part of the appeal. It plays reasonably quickly. I mean, it's got all the things. It doesn't have anything that really jumps out at you to say, oh, wow, this is amazing. I mean, it's pleasant enough. It's easy enough to learn. One of the things I did like about it is, like, as the game progresses, the number of actions you get through the game decreases. So you don't have, like, you know, traditionally a lot of games, like, the longer the game goes, the longer the turns become, because you have more actions and more capabilities and more workers to place out or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. This one you have less every round. So, like, the last round is actually shorter than the earlier rounds, or at least it should be. You're not just sitting there for, like, you know, 10 minutes watching someone run their engine, like, oh, I don't know, terraforming Mars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Mike, just looking at the Board Game Geek page, you're you're clearly wrong because the list of awards and honors this game has won <laughs> is like over a page long. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> this game is insanely popular. I, I, <sighs> I almost wonder if we should play it again sometime to see if maybe something went wrong in that first play. Maybe, maybe. I Like I said, I feel like my big problem with it was just an incontrollable amount of random from the birds that I had had, but maybe that's just because I'm bad at it. I mean, y'all also possible. Maybe <laughs> I don't like this game because I'm not good at it, which is unusual because I <laughs> usually love you love that games that you're bad at. <laughs> Interestingly, something that might make it worth another try. Currently, one of the hot topics on Board Game Geek as we record this is that they have just announced Wormspan, which is a slightly revised version of Wingspan themed around dragons. So if you don't like birds, (laughs) we got you covered. Okay, okay. Oh, those have cute little dragon eggs, too. It's just like the other eggs, except they've got speckled paint all over them. I know, right? That makes them even more pretty! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The eggs are so adorable in Wingspan. Like, there are many shots in the Board Game Geek image set that's just like, pictures of like all the eggs on like a mirrored surface you get the reflection they look real gorgeous people are in love with those meoples they're gorgeous brian you, you might have gotten me on worm span <laughs> i could i could be convinced to play that we'd certainly need to give it a try speaking of games from elizabeth hargrave <laughs> yeah i guess it was a one-two punch here uh so in 2020, we're going to talk about Mariposas, which is uh, Spanish for butterflies, mm-hmm. also released by AEG, and also designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. And I looked up the theming of this game. It's a little bleak, as far as I'm concerned. It's talking about the multi-generational migration of monarch butterflies, basically from Mexico up north, and then coming back down south in the fall. <laughs> but none of the butterflies that start the migration complete the migration oh yeah, so, yeah it's just mm-hmm. like it's like oh, yeah. salmon salmon is Accurate. the same way right you exactly swim back up. Mm-hmm. yeah it's nature it so i guess they couldn't call this death march butterfly marketing might have been unhappy with that i would i would have i, mean, I would be more interested that. in buying it honestly. yeah actually it sounds like i would have kickstarted that <laughs> and still not the most disturbing theme we're going to discuss oh wow that's a that's a fun teaser (laughs) so the game's played out over the three seasons essentially on a turn you're gonna be playing an action card from your hand that's gonna let you place out your butterflies onto the board wherever the butterfly lands you're gonna either get a flower token maybe multiple flower tokens if you land next to or on milkweed you can generate a new butterfly and start reproducing and, and spawning later generations and then once you've played your card you draw back up to two cards It's a pretty simple game at its core. You basically have three scoring rounds representing the seasons. Each scoring round will have its own goals based off of positioning and that sort of thing. And then you're basically just moving around and trying to land on specific things, trying to collect either the same sets of flowers, trying to land on these way stations. If you land on the way station token, it'll give you a special benefit of some sort, maybe drawing cards, maybe doing something else, maybe moving more. But it's it's a fairly simple game. The action card you're playing will be like, move two butterflies, two spaces, or move one butterfly, four spaces. And you're basically trying to reproduce that migration path. At the end of the round, all of that round's generation dies off, and only the next generation (laughs) survives to the next scoring round. If you had no butterflies left after the first generation dies off, you get to spawn a free generation two or generation three Mm -hmm. butterfly, and then just kind of continue the process, scoring points as you achieve goals. Scoring points as you get your butterflies further along. I think you get a bonus for getting them to complete the migration path back to the final location. I don't have a lot of experience with this game, to be perfectly honest, but it was definitely something I wanted to cover since its theme is so grim. (laughs) The board looks very busy. I mean, it's a, a tightly packed nest of hexes, and you're like stacking these little butterfly tokens on them. It seems like it could be very prone to bumping, I guess, let's say. Oh, sure, it's yeah. It's tight fit. It's certainly gotten good reviews. I don't think it has ever reached the popularity of Wingspan, but not a lot of games do. But yeah, like you say, it is definitely an interesting theme if you don't think about it too hard. <laughs> I mean, 
After the success that was Wingspan, Elizabeth Hargrave really just produced a ton of games. Yeah, she's been on a bit of a roll lately. Yeah. With Wingspan, we talked about a Tableau builder that had a lot of engine bits going on, but maybe there was a little bit too much randomness in what birds you get. I mention this for no particular reason, except that Joe is about to talk about Ark Nova. Ark Nova would like to say, hold my beer, <laughs> if you would like to measure on randomness and actions that you can do. Ark Nova, published by Capstone Games in 2021, designed by Matthias Wig. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that I go with Matthias Wig, but I'm not entirely sure how that last name is pronounced. And so in Ark Nova, you are a conservator at a zoo. And the game actually has a very, you know, it's functionally a, a giant point salad game. You get points from lots of different places. But uh, hear me out. What if instead of just getting one kind of point, you got two different kinds of points? That'd be insane. <laughs> and your two scoring markers were racing at each other like you were in some kind of particle accelerator. <laughs> and when they cross each other, the game ends presumably in some sort of like universe detonating event. It's not, that's not really that's what happens. <laughs> Most of it. Mostly. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Is that where the name came from? Yeah, exactly. Nova. The Nova is what your tokens. Oh, God. They've collided. <laughs> the, the universe. This is becoming a dragon's tomb review of Ark Nova. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. The scoring mechanism of the game is actually really fascinating. You, in essence, have, like, people attending your park as one direction, right? And that moves very slowly, right? Like, each of the segmented spaces is, like, one attendee. And then overlaid on top of it are kind of larger blocks that span multiple spaces that are how much, like, conservatorship you're doing for your park. Like, research and... They have, like, conservation projects and, like, making agreements with other parks and all that kind of stuff that is moving, like, in the opposite direction. And once any players cross, the game ends, right? And then you calculate kind of, like, the difference in scores between where your tokens are to figure out who the winner is. Plus, obviously, gobs and gobs of bonus points from a bunch of different locations. On your turn, you'll be selecting an action. The the action engine in Arkham is actually very cool as well, right? So you'll have, there's a set of action cards that are in front of you in a specific order, right? They're initially set in a random order, but there are a couple different positions that the cards can be in. And depending on their just number positions, one through five, and the higher the number, the more effect the card has, right? So if you play an animals card, which allows you to place animals onto your board, if you play it at a low number, you can place a small number of animals. If you play it at a high number, you can play a large number of animals. But whatever card you selected goes back to the first position and every other card slides up to kind of fill in the vacant position. So it's a very careful balance between taking the action that you want to take and taking the action that is extremely valuable because it happens to be in your fifth position and therefore has the most effect on the board in general. Right? You can make agreements with their parks. There's like lots of like every time you take a turn, you have lots of different options. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of components of the game that's supporting you have lots of different options. There's tons and tons of animal cards. There's an array in the middle that you can select from. There are a bunch of actions that allow you to draw additional cards into your hand. You have a grid. You have your own park where you will lay down animal habitats, and then you can place animals into those habitats. Um, that's actually one of the primary sources of points and sources of like attendees is having a bunch of different animals. And so yeah, the game has lots and lots going on kind of all the time. And I dislike this game intensely. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about why. So th yeah. the reason why... And to be fair, this game was set up for failure. When it originally came out, everyone's like, oh, this is finally the game that like fires Terraforming Mars from my collection. And one of the advantages that Terraforming Mars has is you get to see a lot of cards in the game. And so you get to make a lot of choices about the cards that you want to play. And kind of no matter what strategy you're doing, you have a chance to see some of the cards that will support your strategy. In Arc Nova, you see about a fourth of the cards in the total game. And there's a deck of 128 cards, or sorry. Oh, it's bigger like, than that. No, I'm sorry, I'm doing math. It's 128 animals, 64 sponsors, 20 projects. So it's like 200-some cards, right? And you'll only see about a quarter of them. And so if the cards you need don't come up, then so sad, have a bad game. So 
here's the thing, and I agree that is exactly the same opinion I have had about this game. There are great mechanics going on with it. I love the dual score tracks. I love the action card mechanism. There's a lot of clever ideas, but it has been, you can't really count on getting cards of a certain type to fulfill your strategy. That said, I would not say this game was set up a failure because at this time of recording, it is sitting at number four overall on Board Game Geek. So people no, no, really like it. Set up a failure for me personally. Right. Okay. So let's be clear. I'm not mm -hmm. defining the game, much like Wingspan a second ago, I'm not defining the universe's opinion <laughs> on Ark Nova. I'm departing my opinion on Ark Nova, which is like yeah. this game, this flipping game, like every part of it seems really good. And for me, it just doesn't merge into a game that I'm like, I love this game, you know? Right. So the other thing that's interesting, and I haven't played with this yet, but I really want to try it. There is an expansion called Ark Nova Marine Worlds which adds like a bunch of sea animals and stuff. So on the one hand, it seems like, well, this seems like it would just make the problem worse because it is giving you a bunch more animal cards in a deck that's already too big. But what's interesting is that whenever a sea animal comes up, you cycle a card through the display in the middle. Hmm. So you're going to get a lot more cards cycling through that display, which I think will help. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would for sure. It's interesting, right? Because, like, I'm trying to think back to base game Terraforming Mars. And did base Terraforming Mars have a similar issue with just, like, there's a bunch of cards and you're not going to see them all? And I don't remember because it's honestly been too long since we played base game Mars. Because, mm -hmm. remember, one of the great things about Terraforming Mars Prelude is that it jump starts the beginning of the game in which all you're doing is trying to build up those resources and watching all these cards just kind of fall by the wayside yeah i honestly don't remember obviously all the expansions have since added a ton of cards to the deck so the deck has gotten bigger but i think there's also more ways to get through it mm -hmm. I, I don't know yeah, if you played that first game with the non-drafting option then the, yeah that for terraforming mars that would definitely go that way because you just got a hand of cards and you just had to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Also, drafting with Terraforming Mars is a huge improvement. Yeah, totally. And unfortunately, there's not a good way to do that in Arc Nova. But I would like to give it another shot, particularly with yeah, the expansion. Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, like, I would be totally fine playing this game again. It's not my favorite game. I dislike this game intensely. I think it strives towards brilliance and doesn't quite land but i think there are a lot of pieces of it that are really clever mm -hmm. so i would i'd be totally down with playing this game again for sure yeah i don't know that if i was asked to pick a game that i would pick it but i i don't know <laughs> that i'd be like violently you wouldn't immediately veto game. it yeah okay i do know that lots of people love this game yeah to an obscene level it's sitting real high on the geek but what's interesting is that the arc nova rating is 8.5 the rating of Marine World is actually 9.0, which is very high by Board Game Geek standards. So that suggests that it does make a significant improvement. So, so maybe we need to pick up the expansion. I want to seek that out and give it a shot. Right. Curtis, talk to us about your bear problem, or rather your fox problem. So the game I'm introducing is Cascadia. It was released in 2021 by Flat Out Games, and it's designed by Randy Flynn. Much appreciated, Randy. And in the game, you take turns building out your own terrain area and populating it with wildlife. You start with three hexagonal habitat tiles with five types of habitat in the game. And on the turn, you choose a new habitat tile that's paired with a wildlife token, and then place that tile next to your other ones and place the wildlife token on the inappropriate habitat, which never works out for me because I always end up getting grasslands with like hawks on it or something like that. Just, <laughs> But uh, basically, I think during the game, there's four cards that are drawn at the beginning of the game that dictate the scoring for that game. And you're trying to get different combinations of wildlife together. So you pull them out of a bag as you play. Yeah, and I've never been good at the grabbing tokens <laughs> out of a bag game. It's a rare skill. Not all of us yeah, can have Yeah, bag Curtis Curtis as <laughs> dice are defined. <laughs> Joel's really mm -hmm. good at it, though. I'm <laughs> very confident. <laughs> yeah, so basically you're trying to 
put the wildlife in a configuration that works best, but you're just trying to work with what you get, honestly, because it is kind of luck of the draw, and you're trying to get the most points based on the cards that are currently being used to score that game. So you may want two bears together and only two bears together in a group. You may want a line of deer, an unbroken line. You may want two salmon next to two deer or next to, you know, one bear. So let's try to work that as best you can with the area tiles that you have and the tokens that you draw. Yeah, it's interesting the way it works because you basically at the start of the game, you have this is how bears are going to score this game. This is how deer are going to score. This is how foxes are going to score. And it always gives you a weird analysis. Everyone hates foxes. I don't know why, but it's just it's true. They're always in the wrong place in the wrong time. But yeah, it's a simple game in terms of the things you do on your turn. But there are a lot of bits going on as far as how to set up the scoring. We played a game a while back, and I had a very great plan for, what were they, falcons or buzzards? I'm trying to think of what the what the birds are. It's a system where, like, if you have birds that are exactly two hexes apart, you get this kind of optimal thing. So I had this beautiful grid set up, and then I realized that each bird could only be counted once. So all of my effort was wasted because I was bad at reading cards. But it's a fun game. It's light. It's pretty. It's easy to teach. I quite like it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I wasn't good at it, but I did enjoy it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the mic approach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta love games you're not good at, right? Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? Inevitably, in every game, right, there'll be one animal that you hate, mm -hmm. and they'll come up all the time. It'll be great. Right, yeah, exactly. Bears. Foxes. <laughs> always foxes. <laughs> it's always foxes. It's bears for me. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> it's very cool. I like it as a, an intro game or a kind of a warm-up. Much like Wingspan, it would be a very good it would be a very good game to like introduce people to the hobby. Mm -hmm. Right? It's very straightforward and kinda of anyone can pick it up. It doesn't have adorable eggs though. It does not have adorable eggs. I mean yeah. listen, I we you cannot count out the adorableness of the <laughs> eggs. You just cannot. The other thing that threw me a little bit about this game, and it, it's probably just a me thing, is that you've got what is it, five or six different ecosystems on the different tiles, which are different colors. There's, you know, Green for mountains and blue for water and yellow for plains and whatever. But you don't have to line them all up when you're positioning hexes. And my pseudo OCD mm. brain was very aggravated by that. It's like, I can't put that there. That's a mountain next to a plains and you can't do that, but you totally can. And that concludes part one of our wildlife episode. Join us again next month when we talk about more zoos, more attempts to replace terraforming Mars, more games that Mike isn't good at, and more games by Elizabeth Hargrave, plus some other stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next month. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast, and thank you for listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna just delete a whole bunch of that because I'm just saying words at this point. How you doing this morning, Brian? I'm a little. Everything okay? Um, I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs>